Joining us right now, my friend Andrew Bronca. He's the law of self-defense on Twitter. You guys know him, self-defense attorney, author of The Law of Self-Defense. And uh, I love how his pronouns are U.S. Constitution. I just saw that on his Twitter profile the other day, which is hysterical. Uh, 2A expert, self-defense expert. This is his wheelhouse. And he joins us now via Skype. Andrew, always so good to see you. I've got to get your reaction before we go any further on this situation with the jury. Because a lot of people, were, like myself, were questioning why is it that the jury is not sequestered, at least at the very least. And I understand that it's a hardship, etc. But for such a high-profile case, at least right before deliberations, because now we're hearing a second story. At first, there was somebody who was videotaping jurors getting on the bus leaving. Now, apparently, somebody followed a juror home. Someone else misrepresented themselves, apparently, as a member of the media. I don't know if that's the same person. And now, apparently, MSNBC is in trouble for something they've done regarding the jury. What, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think this uh, this court and frankly, the parties, particularly the defense, completely underestimated the tsunami of, of media coverage and the effect it would have on these proceedings. I mean, folks like us who cover these kinds of high profile trials all the time, we're familiar with what this dynamic is like. But if you're just a local Kenosha attorney and a local Kenosha County judge, I remember the judge speaking early on. He said, oh, I'm not worried about it. I've covered, you know, I've had high profile cases before and I'm thinking, I don't think you've had one like this. And sure enough, you can tell by his tone and talking about the media, he's almost in shock at the intensity and degree of coverage that this case is getting. Wow. Apparently, now I'm seeing that it was a member of MSNBC, and it's being reported that they've been banned from the trial in the court building altogether. because Not they... just them, NBC entirely. Oh, Wow. NBC entirely is banned. That is, that's not journalism. That's activism. That's act. That's trying to intimidate a juror. We can never, we can never know for sure. Right. But the dynamic is not one of fostering a fair and impartial process in in these proceedings at all by any of the media. I mean, we know that they've completely poisoned the Kenosha jury pool with 14 months of propaganda of Kyle Rittenhouse as some kind of white supremacist who shot a bunch of black people at a uh, Black Lives Matter protest. Right. A complete fabrications of fact. But right. they don't, you know, the most of the media, they don't hesitate to do this kind of, that's their purpose. It's just, it's this, I've never seen anything like this. And I'm just shocked at how really, I mean, at least they have 500 National Guardsmen on the outskirts of the town. Uh, I wanted to ask you too about some of the legal, uh, some of the technical legal aspects and developments of this. So Monday, a mistrial with prejudice motion was filed by defense because of the, and I think we can all pretty much agree that what they got and the video the prosecution had, 11 megabytes versus 4 megabytes, super pixelated and grainy as opposed to crystal clear, two totally different things. But yesterday, they also filed for, I think it was later in the afternoon, and you been covering this extensively and i hope people sure. look at your twitter feed uh but uh motion for mistrial without prejudice and that made me a little nervous because correct me if i'm wrong that means that essentially if it's a mistrial without prejudice they can they can do this again Are, is right. that defense getting nervous and anticipating some kind of guilty plea I, I think so and frankly they're in a little bit of a unique situation so this is their third motion for a mistrial the first two were with prejudice and they didn't get them i mean it, it hasn't been decided yet but they didn't receive a mistrial with with prejudice so they may be thinking man we're a little worried that it's taking longer than we had hoped to get a verdict out of this jury that must mean there's a holdout or two uh, who may be influencing the others to some kind of compromise verdict we don't want any convictions I mean, the lightest sentence he would be looking at for the, the the least degree of offense here and the lesser included is still 10 years plus five for having used the gun. So it's still a long prison sentence. 
And they're unusually situated in that they have a lot of resources. They have a lot of money that they raise. So a normal defendant spends all their money in the first trial. If they have a retrial, they're done. They don't have any resources for the new fight. But they actually have the option here where they could say, you know what, let's do a complete reset. Maybe get a different legal team, maybe do a better job with image analysis, maybe do a better job on closing, a better job on jury selection, and take a second bite at the apple where they're not getting ambushed by this drone video uh, evidence in the middle of the trial. Yeah, and that was absolutely an, an ambush. That was kind of, that was shocking to see. Is that unusual? And I, again, this is my non-lawyerly, you know, trained opinion and, and thoughts on this. And I'm looking at this. And from what I understand, the judge was not going to rule on the motion until the jury came back from deliberations. And then they gave the case to the jury before, as I understand it, the motions were dispensed with. That seems kind of backwards to me. It's... This whole trial has been uh, something of a, a poop fest, frankly. Uh, for example, <laughs> y- you would think, based on all the conversations we're having now about precisely what manner the jurors should use to view video evidence, you would think that they were not aware that video evidence was going to be key in this trial. I mean, we've known oh, for 14 months, virtually all the evidence in the trial is video evidence, and they never thought through the procedures for how the jury would access that video during the deliberations, but they didn't until the jury went into deliberation. So I... It's it's bewildering to me how these obvious kind of procedural components that you anybody would see coming uh, were not addressed beforehand. Um, I think the judge is personally inclined. You know, I think he's hoping for an acquittal. And if he gets an acquittal, then he doesn't have to deal with these motions for a mistrial. It's all moot. Um, of course, if there's a conviction, he's also the kind of judge that I don't think has the intestinal fortitude to follow through with a, a mistrial after a guilty verdict is delivered. That's exactly where I was going with this because it seems sort of like there are different parties to this that are kind of passing the buck back and forth to each other. The state, the judge. There's a lot of passivity, a lot of passive conduct. The judge is very passive. He doesn't want to make decisions. He's hoping. I'm not a fan of this Like a lot of people, you know, you're facing a difficult decision. A lot of people just want to wait and see if things change, right? Without them having to make a decision. That's the vibe I get from him. And frankly, the defense is unbelievably passive here. I'm extremely disappointed Uh, You can tell how this judge responds to argument. The state talks and talks and talks and talks and talks until they finally get their way. And the defense says, well, Your Honor, we'd like to do it this way. That's all we have to say. And it goes against them. If I were on that defense table, I would be talking and talking and talking until the judge told me to shut up because that appears to work with this judge. Yeah, and that is something that's actually a really important point that you made because it seemed it just seemed that I see and I've been hearing more from prosecution. No, there's not not that there's a clock, but running down the clock so much more than I've seen defense. And and I just thought defense would be so much more aggressive considering the mounds of video evidence that exist right there. Um, that's yeah. that's huge. The conversation uh, that we're talking with our good friend Andrew Bronca, his self-defense attorney, Second Amendment expert. He's been following this uh, uh, extensively. This case. The discussion back and forth between all of these different elements for that were accepted as evidence, all of the digital elements, everything apparently went through Dropbox, except for the video in question upon which it seems the prosecution predicated their entire case. That was initially sent as a text. Do I understand that correctly? You know, they give such convoluted answers now to these questions. The prosecution does. And of course, they're not under oath, right? So, I mean, uh, Assistant DA Krause is asked, well, how could this have happened? And he says, well, I don't really know how this technology stuff works. And then he has a list, a laundry list of 12 reasons why it went sideways, none of which are his fault, of course. 
It's all somebody else's fault. Even his associate assistant DA Binger, it's his fault. It's the defense fault. It's Dropbox fault. You know what? I don't care whose fault it is. The state has an absolute obligation and the defendant has an absolute constitutional right to see the evidence that's going to be used against him in court, not some degraded version of the evidence, the actual evidence. And as far as I'm concerned, it's a strict liability responsibility. If the state fails that, they're done. Yeah. I, and and I don't, I, I just, I mean, I've been watching this trial more than I think any other trial that I've ever watched, except, you know, there are times when I have to kind of go back and look at clips because I've been on air when it happens, or I look at your feed, uh, Law of <laughs> Self-Defense, and I follow because you're, you have like up to the second, I don't even know how you get stuff out that quickly because there are times when you have like multiple updates in like one second, but I, I'm actually not able to kind of predict where I think this is going to go. And it's, and, and I don't, it just seemed like such an open and shut case. What is the hurdle here, in your opinion? If, if you had to position yourself, you know, in that courtroom uh, and, and, and put yourself in the mind of the jury, what in the, po- what on possible earth could they have? What reason on earth? Well, I'm, you know, there's a couple people on the jury who've been wearing masks the entire time, a couple oh. of mask Karens, and we know what they're like. They they value nothing more than their status within their social group. Uh, and sometimes those people are, are willing to urge for some kind of compromise guilt, even though there's no legal merit to it, because they want to preserve that status more than anything. We see it in, with all these people where they, they're in charge of the NFL. They degrade mm-hmm. the value of the NFL. They're losing money for their shareholders, but in their social group, they maintain or increase their status. So it seems like counter-profit political uh, tribalism. actions, but it's not, they value the status more than the money. <gasps> That's insane. And, and the concern here is that a couple of jurors are holdouts that may value their status more than they value justice. One last quick thing for you, talking with our friend Andrew Branca. I, I've said before, and I know you agree with this, self-defense is entirely on trial here. And I think due process now, especially with these developments with the juries under attack, I am about I'm fed up with some even and I, I some people on the right actually is where these arguments are coming from that most surprise me. They're using this as an attack on open carry. And I've seen that come up a lot with people criticizing this case and well, if you know, if you're open carrying a rifle, well, is that any they're saying that it's provocative? Is that any more provocative than saying a prayer over a meal in a public restaurant? Is that any more provocative than engaging in free speech? I mean, I think this is asinine. Right. So they're using provocative in the same sense you just did as kind of a very broad sense of provocative. But that's not what provocative means in terms of use of force law. Provocative only applies in use of force law if it, it immediately results in a violent response. Right. So you insult someone to their face, they throw a punch. That's provocation for use of force purposes. If it doesn't immediately result in a violent response, it's not provocation for use of force purposes, maybe in a colloquial sense, but right. not in a technical legal sense. So no one was attacking him generally because he had a rifle. No one was attacking any of the other people who were openly carrying ARs. So clearly it was not pr- provocative conduct in the legal sense of immediately resulting in a violent response. There you go, Andrew Bronco, one of the best out there. Andrew, always so appreciate your expert ex- your expertise on this. And I actually, I lied. This is my last quick question while we go. Do you think we're going to get a verdict today? No. Hmm. I think the, the holdouts are going to keep holding out. Uh, maybe we'll see pressure increase to the breaking point tomorrow, Friday, before the weekend. Oh, boy. Uh, but I, I would not expect a verdict today. I think I think, frankly, the holdouts are enjoying themselves. Wow. 
can you imagine? And of course, if they come out with it tomorrow, Saturday and Sunday for for riots. There you go. Yep. Andrew Bronco, Law of Self-Defense. Always appreciate it, my friend. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.